Thanks for listening to the First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco Sermon Podcast. We pray it is a blessing to you and that it brings glory to our Heavenly Father. You can learn more about us by visiting us online. Just go to www.firstpresbyteriansf.org. All right, we're turning today to Romans chapter 7, verse 21, through Romans 8, verse 1. Now, uh, we're going to be kind of roaming a field in the Word of God for a season, and and it's a challenging thing as a pastor. I, for nearly 30 years as I've preached, I, I always, always preach through a book, always through a book. And, and uh, I think we are going to return to that at the right time. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in turning to Ephesians. And one of the reasons I'm interested in turning to Ephesians is that because our little church community, I think we need to be thinking a lot about what does it mean to be a church? And, and, and when we return from worship, from this, um, from the Zoom worship, we turn to physical worship. I think we have some building to do and some building we're looking for our Father to do in us and through us. But along the way, I get to cherry pick and, and, and for this season, it's kind of fun. And uh, I get to seek the Lord for what, what, what part of God's word we'll be in. Today we're at Romans 7, verse 21 through chapter 8, verse 1. Let's read the word of God together. So I find it to be a law that I, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, one of the things uh, uh, that uh, I want to speaking today about is in particular is our struggle with failure, corruption, and rebellion. Our personal, daily, persistent struggle with corruption, with a sense of failure in our lives. In other words, today's topic is the sinfulness of man, the sinfulness of humanity, the sinfulness of Christians in particular. And uh, and so I want, I want to look at this, and I, knowing full well that the minute I start out the gate, uh, I'm almost I'm on the wrong foot, almost, it feels a little bit like. And what I mean by this is that the, the, the Bible, the, this, this portrayal even right here uh, in these few verses, and as we'll look at here in the book of Romans, it has an almost unrelentingly negative view about the possibility of human righteousness. It has an extremely pessimistic view, it seems, of the possibility of you or I or us together really being good people. And that, that can be a bit discouraging. If there's one thing that Christianity sometimes can be accused of, and especially biblical Christianity, is a very negative view of the possibility of human goodness. 
In other words, we talk a lot about sin. Talk a lot about sin. And if you were paying attention in, to, our, to our entire worship, uh, there, again and again, we return to a, 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 the topic of sin, of this, of this part of the human condition and its, and its, and its wretchedness. And, uh, and the wretchedness of sin is what I want to look at today, the wretchedness of our sin, the wretchedness that comes through it, the wretchedness that creates the sense of suffering and affliction that's created by us. Because all of us have discovered, as we've walked with God, that we are a mixture of bad and good things. We're almost like a struggle between darkness and light inside us. And it's hard sometimes to have hope. And I know as a preacher of the gospel, as a pastor, this has been an ongoing struggle of mine. In fact, um, uh, there, there are these there are these parts, these little, these little 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 verses in the Bible that say things like, "Those who teach should be held are held to a higher account because of a stricter judgment." So I, when I, I become aware of of the presence of sin in my life, and it, it terrifies me. Because how am I going to preach to you about the goodness of God? Or how am I going to be able to comfort people about the, about the wonderful love of Jesus for sinners when, when I feel like I myself am suffering because of my hypocrisy, because of a persistent failure, because of a corruption that seems to wind its way through my character, through my life, through my words? And I, I, this is extremely frustrating. It can be defeating, deeply defeating. And so, you know, you're kind of left, uh, you, you can be left with a despair, a despair that leads to depression and darkness and death. So hi, so what, we're here right here in Romans 7. And up to this point, Paul has been talking about a very great salvation through the cross where the punishment due to sinners was applied to the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. And that punishment applied to Jesus is no longer applied to those who have faith in him. We are hidden in Jesus. Our faith cleanses us, and we get all of Jesus' goodness. But this leaves a question unanswered, a question kind of lingering, a question that you may well ask yourself, and that is, why do I still fail? Why do I still continue, it seems, to persist in failure? Why does it, when I even do the very best I can, it seems there's an undercurrent? of some falseness in it? Why do I feel like I'm embattled in my brain back and forth, like there's a war going between this side and that side? Remember that picture of a devil and an angel on each in each shoulder? The reason that's such a powerful picture for us is because we all identify with it. We know there's a voice, and there are often voices in our heart telling us good things we should do, and often outweighed by the voice in our heart that says oh, the bad things we could do. And we find ourselves in conflict and a divided mind. So I'm hoping that we will be able to walk into some joy here as we look at this, because it's one thing to say, one thing to realize that all this talk about sin, I don't know if you've ever heard the old joke, uh, what did the preacher preach about today? Uh, man, uh, uh, um, man comes home and, and he's asked by his wife, what did the preacher preach about today? And the man says, he, he preached about sin. And as I recall, he was against it. <laughs> Now, if that's the long and short of what I have to say about sin or what we had to say or hear about sin, that's not terribly helpful, right? And, uh, and it seems like uh, sometimes Christians can be, a, can be accused of talking too much about sin. But I don't think there's any danger there. Not what we, think, we often think there might be, but I don't think there is. Because in the, in, as we begin today, this is my hope by the Holy Spirit, as we begin to get a sense, a vision, a growing sense of the persistence 
of the corruption in us, of the, uh, of the, of the division that we experience. We are being invited. We are being invited into joy. We might not even be able to see it, but right at the moment, as we draw closer and closer to a knowledge of ourselves, a knowledge of our failure, we are we become witnesses to, we become aware of, we become to begin to see the astounding greatness of the love of God. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't need to be afraid. You know, one of the greatest crimes of this generation, of this world in this age, is its belief that we are fundamentally good people, you see? And this is a, this is a problem we, we have where we're kind of at odds. Our, our Bible tells us we are fundamentally flawed. We, are fund, we were born into sin, and in sin we were conceived. We, we, we struggle with sin at an elemental level, at a constituent, fundamental level in our very being. From, from conception itself. The scriptures are that blunt. They're that clear. But in this modern world, the basic presupposition, whether, you, whether whatever party you belong to, whatever political party or political persuasion and different perspective, is basically humanity is good. Humanity, we're all good, and we and we we just we just need to get that goodness out of out somehow, and maybe by education or proper laws or 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 whatever whatever. There's a there's a whole bunch of remedies provided by different political parties and different points of view. But but I'm here to tell you that we we don't need to we we need to refute that, get rid of that perspective, and 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 you have probably drunk of that perspective in some level where you imagine the people you work with or the people you look up to or some of the heroes of our time or even yourself, you're basically all good people. The scriptures just simply reject that. No, you're not. No, you're not. But they don't merely open a door to terrible pessimism. The Bible's realistic pessimism, that's what I'm going to call it, a realistic pessimism about humanity is meant to lead us to something else. It is meant to lead us to the great optimism the great optimism about the power of grace in Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to be afraid of this discussion or, or run away from it or hide from it or even hide from ourselves. Let's not do that. All right, so let's dive into the text here. And I, 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 there's a couple things I need to point out before we go any further. And they're, and they're just some, some things that are a little bit confusing when we read this. And some of this language is a little antique. One of them is the word law. You see, it happens... Uh, six times in our text, and I highlighted them here in red. And Paul uses the word law. It's all the same word every time. But that's not how we use this word. We use it sometimes like this when we talk about like, the laws of nature. But the word law here, and the way Paul's using it, again and again, he talks about the law, a law that, that, that I, find, I find it to be a law, and it's like the law of God. There's a law of God, and there's a captive to a law of sin. And then there's a, a law of God again, and, a, and another again, a law of sin. Well, what, are the, what is this reference to law? Well, it, it might help you to, to translate this a little bit differently, conceptually. Uh, and, and this, or here, yeah, the law of my mind. Uh, it's the idea of a basic principle. It's a basic, fundamental principle about all of existence. Paul is introducing us here to the way things really are. And that there are certain principles active all the time. There's a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. There's a principle 
that I, even when I delight in the law of God and my ear being, there's another principle, uh, a, a, a basic principle of the law of sin dwelling in my body. And there's all these different competing, as it were, principles, basic principles. And so when we use the word law here, it might be a little bit off-putting, but don't, 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 don't fret over that too much. What we are interested in today are the principles that lead us to understand sin in our lives and understand how that sin reveals the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's what the that's what indwelling sin is meant to do. So let's let's take a look. And the second thing I want you to look at, and so that's the first textual observation I want you to make here. But the second textual observation is there in verse one of chapter eight. This may be a verse that you're familiar with. And, uh, and, and uh, it's one of the great, most radiant hopes I've referred to in a number of times in my preaching. It is one of the most radiant statements about our present freedom from all condemnation from God, all sense of judgment and threat, and that that's all gone. I was recently, uh, as a challenge to myself, was trying to memorize uh, Romans 8 in Greek. I haven't gotten that far. I've only gotten a couple verses in, but I'm working on it. But but one of the blessings that being in the Greek a lot makes you see makes you see and understand is the way that Paul writes this text. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no is in this text. There is no verb given in chapter eight verse one. There's no verb at all. The verb is understood, and the reason there's no verb is because in the Greek this is so fiercely proclamatory. This almost thunders out of the text. And this is what it really says. Nothing, therefore, now. That's the way, that's, that's the way he starts the, the chapter 8. Or as he finishes, but my flesh I serve this law of sin. He thunders out, nothing, therefore, now. Condemnation. There's nothing, therefore, now of condemnation any longer. For those in Christ Jesus. And it's almost thunderous. And what I'm hoping is that the Holy Spirit will thunder into our hearts our joy and our freedom from condemnation over the corruption and stain of sin that clings to everything we do, over the persistence of sin that occurs again and again and again with such irritating regularity in our lives. And finally, it's a, it's a victory over the division that we experience internally and the, 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 this, this divided mind that can torment us. And that's what torment is what wretched means. It means I'm tormented. And there's a certain torment in our hearts created by persistent sin, by the stain of sin, and by the division in our mind. That's where these words, this nothing, therefore, now. And it's so strident. It's so beautiful. I was really glad to memorize it because it, it kept echoing in my brain as I'm echoing into the Greek. Uden, ara, nen, none. It's just, it's just the, 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 what I'm saying is the grammar itself is so strident and thunderous. It's meant to be such a great proclamation, you see, of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what we're. That's what I'm aiming to. So, to, what we're going to do today is we're going to go through each one of these the dimensions of sin that we're that are discussed here, and look at how these words, therefore, and nothing, and now, are all answers to our our struggle with sin, and answers to set us free. So, as we look at the wretchedness of sin, I'm hoping you will see some of the joy that comes out of this. Because one of the things that happens in this text, I want you to see this. 
you have, he says he's wretched here. And then he says, thanks be to God here. He talks about, uh, where is it? Uh, uh, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see, I see something else happening in my body. Uh, this question, who will deliver me? There's something in the way Paul's writing here that covers the whole gamut of human experience. Wretched man that I am, that's a cry of desperation. Uh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a cry of praise. There's there, and, and I want you to see that this is like the, the this gets down to the guts of our lives, doesn't it? All our different feelings, all the different things we feel about ourselves and our God and others are all brought to bear here. And they're all brought to bear in Paul's own language. And so maybe some of those feelings are going to come and go as we're as we're even in the word today. Holy Spirit, will you do that work and speak through your servant? In Jesus' name, amen. So this is, this is the exegetical observations I want you to see in the text so far. When it says law, it's talking about a fundamental or basic principle that we can trust, that we always know is true, and, and, we, cannot, and we ought not to doubt. And then, then finally, I, I, I translated here for you so you can see, uh, there is therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the literal Greek, and I italicize the is because there's no verb. Nothing therefore now condemned for those in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's a literal, literal translation of 8.1. Oh, I pray that I'm going to, I hope this thunders. I hope this thunders in your heart because we need to look at these things. You heard me talk about it. There is no condemnation on corrupting sin. This idea of a sin that stains. There's no condemnation on persistent sin. The sin that happens so regularly, so routinely, such a part of, of our, our daily and personal existence. And there's no condemnation on a heart that's divided by sin. Because uh, you, sometimes you feel so double-minded, you can look at yourself and say, what a hypocrite I am. Ah, there's no condemnation. And you'll see, we need the nothing. We need the now. We need the therefore for those in Christ Jesus. So this is our plan of attack as we go through as we go through the text together. And the first one we'll look at is, is at corrupting sin. There is an idea of corrupting sin in the Bible. Uh, this is the uh, sometimes called original sin, but it's the idea that you and I uh, are, have no chance, <laughs> even in our very best moments. I don't know if you've actually personally experienced this with any kind of clarity, uh, but I, I know I have. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Another translation is evil's right there with me. It's right, it's right inside saddle. And there's no way I can get away. All right, so put this good idea. In, in one of the purest moments of my of my life was to was to stand and be married to my wife Tao. And it's this beautiful ceremony that happened uh, a couple of years ago. And I'm very thankful for it. But even in that pure moment, that, that's one of the purest moments of my life. There is still, what this is telling me, there's still an undercurrent. There's still a stain you can't quite get off of you that's always there. What am I talking about? Well, you know, I was worried about what people thought of the wedding. Or I was more distracted and concerned about my guests than I was about my wife. Or I was worried about whether, you know, and all the, the worries that creep in about motives. Why are we doing this? And why, why, why do we do the good things we do? And, and, and if, we, if, we if we tend to look closely, and this, I'm going to be fair here, 
then you need to be fair and honest with yourself. When you look very closely at the very best things you do, you know that you've got motives that are questionable. Even when we do certain acts of surrender for others. Let's say you even do an act of surrender in life. You give something beautifully to somebody else and you're really pure even as you do it. No sooner do you do the good deed than you're congratulating yourself. My, I remember my uncle used to say, don't break your wrist. And when you, you know, you're bragging about something. And what, I was like, what does that mean? I remember him saying, patting yourself on the back. Don't break your wrist patting yourself on the back. Because even the good things that you did, the, good, the great gift that came out of your heart when you gave so sacrificially, when you gave up time for that person who you didn't really want to spend time with, when you showed up when you really didn't want to be there, and you, you, no sooner do you congratulate yourself then you've already begun to stain it. It's, it. it is a frustrating reality. And if you don't know that frustrating reality, you're not looking carefully enough at, at, at what the wretchedness of sin does in you. Our best moments. You know, we, we see people do noble things, like a man will give his life for others, jump on a hand grenade kind of things when a soldier does this. And what God is even saying here, even the very best and greatest heroic efforts of man contain something in them that's for us and not for him. Oh. Now, right at this moment, we're being told something. We need the nothing that's for those who are in Christ Jesus. What am I talking about? What's the principle here? We are stained. Even our best works are haunted and corrupted. But at this moment, God does not condemn us because of our stained good works. Prepare to be amazed. What a God! And this is where that nothing thunders out. Don't you get it? This is all the freedom that it means to be in Jesus. You know, even, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times we, we, we can get obsessed with doing things perfectly. Sometimes, uh, and, and if we see a failure in what we do, if I see, feel like I didn't preach well or something like that, I'll kick myself about it and want to want to flagellate myself or hurt my, you know, somehow somehow blame myself, not, not standing in that moment where I ought to stand. Because if we see the stain, let us hear and see the love that loves us through it, the grace that accompanies it. You see, God is not mean for you to merely discover that you're just a loser who can never really do it right, even when you do it the, as best you can. No, he wants you to discover that he is a perfect savior for men and women who failed to be what they should be who have to deal with motives that are a blur. And what he's saying is, my rescue in Jesus conquers that. Be free. Be amazed. Yeah, the truth is that you can do nothing because there's no condemnation, nothing of condemnation left. The word there, by the way, in the Greek is, then it's a very, it's the strongest negative possible. Nothing of condemnation is for those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn us because we are corrupt. And and so, you know what this mirrors? Nothing in my hands I bring, as we sing in that song, but simply to the cross I cling. If you think there is one good duty you can do, one pure moment of love or sacrifice that will finally please the God of the universe, then you are lost. You're without hope in the world because there is no thing that you can do. The only way that you can please God is by finally admitting there's nothing you can do because there's nothing of condemnation left for those who present nothing to God. But the, what do we do? What do we present to God? 
being in Jesus and his righteousness, you see? And so even as this discovery of corruption seems to open up a doorway to despair, you hear it, wretched man that I am, that doorway is shut because of the cross. It's pretty beautiful. Be amazed. And, you know, um, we have nothing of condemnation, and there was nothing of me or my goodness that could save me anyway. Praise him. He is a complete savior. Do not be discouraged by the corruption, the corrupting nature of sin, because God doesn't condemn it anymore. There's nothing of condemnation left for it, because there was nothing you could do to earn his favor, love, attention, and pleasure on you. Nothing. You know, this is why we can describe ourselves as being one of the fullest delights and one of the favorites of God, even though we do not feel like it. You know how we claim being God's favorite is because of these kinds of truths and how the beautiful they are. You know, it's funny. Uh, uh, what I'm uh, advocating here is it, it goes even bigger than that. Uh, some of us uh, are very gifted at seeing the flaws in others. We can see we can see the thing that they do wrong. As we see all the good things, we're, we're always marking. Oh, we can see that. And, but stop looking for that. If you, if you have a heart that tends to do that, that tends to bring condemnation to others because of, of their mixed motives, then, then give that up. Well, we, we need to be a community, and I want us to be a community. And God has ordained us to be a community of welcoming love that does not condemn that way but even sees when it sees people caught up in their own condemnation, preaches grace to them. Be amazed. Our, our salvation is totally free. So I don't find, so I ought to not, you can encourage me of this as your pastor and, 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 and Tao is now going to use this against me doubtless in the days ahead. And when I, when I, when I, when I whine about what a terrible leader or preacher or whatever I think I am, uh, because that's just an invitation. All that was, that seeing that corruption was an invitation to trust an amazing grace, isn't it? Let's go on to the next thing. Because there's now no condemnation on persistent sin, we need the now for those in Christ Jesus. Um, as I'm taking each word, I'm just kind of applying it differently so you can see it and have joy in it. But there's no condemnation on persistent sin. Now the corrupting sin, you may, you may, you may, you may be like, huh? I never really thought about the idea that any, even the slightest wrong motive corrupts the entire, the entire action. But this is one that many of us, many of us can can understand. Look, look, look at how the scriptures talk about the law of sin that dwells, that lives in my members. This word "members" means like my physical body or the parts of my body. And it dwells. Look, this body of death, very present tense. In fact, I serve right here the law of sin is in the present active indicative. It's in the present tense. So what he is describing is a constant, unrelenting experience of screwing up again and again and again. Now, I know I'm not alone with this one. Which one of you on this phone call, which one of you has ever made a plan to not sin and succeeded? We can't do it. In fact, we, we find that if we're honest with ourselves, we're caught up by the pettiest of sins. Tongue control is one of mine. An ability to, an inability to control my tongue. You know, like you're just despairing of it because it happens over and over and over again. This is where uh, desires and lusts of the flesh come up. Where and, and, and what's the principle being exposed here? All sin 
is habit forming. <laughs> you know, you think smoking is habit forming. Maybe you think drinking is habit forming and you can look at it and we've diagnosed it. But the person who, who loves to run other people down, that can be a habit too, or the person or worrying and the constant self-worry and the, the habit of worry is a sin. It's a sin against God. Well, discontentment with your life and your station and your achievements, all these kinds of things, they're, they're present tense problems a lot of us have, and they are sin that we fall into again and again, almost routinely. Now, this can be a tremendous discouragement to the Christian. Uh, this is one of those things that it's like a, a persistent uh, 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 a sense of, uh, of never being able to conquer even the most basic things that we want to we want to. We want to. We want uh, victory from. We see how uh, we we when we see how much we keep failing and messing up in the same ways. We can see how constant, how persistent it all is. And so, even as we look at the text here, what I want us to call us to something else now, and that is the glorious now of no condemnation, because as, as much as persistent as we are, we need to see that persistence in a new way. That God does not contemn the repetition of sin that you and I do on a daily bit. That's amazing. You, we need to be amazed at this. God has reckoned. Now, many of us think very lightly of sin. Maybe, maybe in the end, we're like, "Oh well, you know, so I sinned. You know, that's no big deal." And uh, but if that's where you are at, then we'll, we'll deal with that in a second. That that means that you uh, that you're uh, you're in grave spiritual danger. But we'll look at that in just a moment. But the, right now, this idea that all sin is habit forming and is so persistent is meant to get is meant to give you these petty weaknesses I have as a pastor, you have as a believer, are meant to teach you something else, and that is the persistence of God's loving grace. Yeah, you know, you know what's funny? Daily routine failure is meant to be a picture of God's daily routine love. So we ought to now, there's always now for us to run to God with forget for forgiveness. Do you ever like screw up and then and then think, oh, you know, I've got to wait to go to God because I just I was just uh with my mouth running down my neighbor. And, you know, and then you feel a little guilt and you're like, you know, maybe I really can't go to that. Get rid of all that. There's a glorious now being proclaimed for the children of God. And what God is doing by constantly letting you see your weaknesses. He is getting you, training you, and training us to see how we are constantly, unrelentingly, persistently being loved. He wants us to get a sense of the amazement of such a God, that he loves people like you and me. Now, one of the things I want us to do right this moment is to stop being so surprised. You know, I, do you ever do this? Maybe I, like, I'm 55 years old, and I still will say things like, I can't believe I just did that. You ever say, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did that. As if we're constantly surprised that we're really as bad as the Bible and this describes us of, to describes us to be in the present tense. And, and the fact that we are surprised, I think, shows something. It shows that we don't really believe what the Bible says about us. We're more like our culture. We tend to think we're basically good and that these sins are wild exceptions to who we are. And they're not, are they? They are the truth of who we are. And when we discover the truth of who we are in sin, that's just an opportunity now to see the truth of who he is as a loving Savior. The truth of what his salvation means for us, what his rescue is, what his cleansing power does. There is no condemnation now, today. 
Be quick to return to God. Be persistent in answering yourself with grace because these daily failures are a gift from God to you to reveal to who, who you really are and reveal how great his love really is to you. And, and, and this, this goes on. Uh, uh, one of the ways that we as a community uh, we need to be embracing this is not keeping track of, of how other people have screwed up. I don't know if you do this, but a lot of us do this. We tend to keep track of all the times that somebody didn't call us or all the times we were offended or, or how often that person messed up or how many times he's messed up or how many times she's done this. That, is, that has nothing to do with the children of God. The children of God are forbidden to be ledger makers about all the faults and all the flaws and all the failures of others. Because we ourselves are persistently sinning, daily, routinely. And in fact, if we're keeping a record like this of ourselves or others, then we're not living in grace. And we're not living in the abundance of grace, in the, in the freedom of grace and, 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 and its beauty. And, and so this body of, and so we're not, we're not amazed that God loves us so well. You know, there's just no limit to how much you're supposed to forgive other people. You don't really learn this until you get married. And when you get married, well, you can learn it in other ways. That's not true. But one of the places you can learn it deeply is in marriage. You'll learn it in any really close relationship. You'll learn it with family. Because you're constantly have a front seat for the failure of another. You just do. And you, you have to learn how to forgive others and forgive yourself. And to, and to live in that forgiving love through Jesus and his love. Because he's persistent. That's what's really behind all this. God is so persistent. This, and that's why this thunders out with so much glory, doesn't it? Nothing, therefore, now of condemnation. Praise him. But let's go on to the final thing about the power of the wretchedness and the despair of sin. And that is a heart divided. Because there's now no condemnation on a, on a heart divided by sin. We need the therefore for those in Christ Jesus. Uh, we take a look here. At, at how does Paul actually describe this? How does the Bible, how does God describe what is happening, uh, functioning in, in our interior lives? Waging war, making me captive, a body of death. In my, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And what the scriptures present to us is the deepest part of our fracture and of our ruin. And what I mean by this is that we are hypocrites. My, my, I'm a hypocrite, my wife's a hypocrite, and you're a hypocrite. And, and, and we know this, we know that we have a, a dynamic inside us of a war that happens between goodness and evil between darkness and light. And that is a real and persistent reality. And I think as you grow in Christ, and as you grow in God, this is actually grows in intensity. It's interesting, you know, Paul comes to this, this, wretched, this wretched, wretched declaration here. And it seems that it's almost as if the more you grow in God, and this is interesting because this gives us a new, a new measure for maturity. One of the new measure for maturity that we don't see and we often don't acknowledge or we don't live in is that mature people in Jesus are more aware that they are wretched people in Jesus. But that wretchedness is compared, and you probably see this coming, with what? This mighty therefore. The therefore, the God's logic. 
And, and God, the logic of God's love is astounding here. Take great courage, he is saying. And what is Paul saying? I am actually encouraged as I glimpse my wretchedness, because if you see the wretchedness of your divided mind about how you want good things and yet you don't do them and you, the bad things you don't want, you wind up doing them and you're constantly torn back and forth by desires to do good and to do right and to serve, and, yet, and, and then other desires wage war against your soul. That's where the therefore it's right after he comes to the conclusion, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That is a terrible, it's almost like a place of Christian schizophrenia, where you have half your mind's going this way, half your mind's going that way. That's what he speaks the mighty there for. In the logic of God's love, if you hate your sin and the sinful condition you're in, you're right at the doorstep of grace, you see. You're right at the, the doorstep of really getting and understanding a total love. God does not condemn men and women who have divided hearts. Praise him. He doesn't condemn hypocrites. That's astounding. Because there's one thing we all condemn. It's hypocrites, even though we ourselves know our own hypocrisy. It's one of the things we always point out. Aha, he said that, and she said that, and he said something else before, and you're there. But we ought to rejoice if we do this. Now, if, right? God loves hypocrites, but I, I want to get down to diagnostics, guys. If you are not tormented by sin, you do not know God. You are not living in him. His Holy Spirit is not present with you, not in the way that it should be. If you're not reaching into a point of wretchedness over the fact that you ignore God's word, or you have, or you, or you don't, or you don't come into submission, and, and you're not tormented with a sense of war, then there is something very wrong. You would, you should put down what you're doing and start thinking about why you are not suffering like this. Because this, therefore, the logic of God's love is for the tormented man and for the woman who can't stand who they are. And I can only offer a promise of hope to people who are getting into that wretchedness because they're now, because that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit for us to finally give up the bland, absurd optimism that mankind's basically good and all I have to do is unleash the goodness in me. And that is not the case. You are basically, and we are basically hypocrites at the core. We're engaged in a mighty conflict against a sin nature that never quits. It is so persistent, a stain that, that, that gets into our very best, best things, best things we do. And if you are in that fight and you feel it, praise God, be amazed. He wants to speak life to you right now. If you're not in that fight, be afraid. Be so afraid. Be, you should quake in holy terror as you listen to me. If you are not deeply broken over your own wretchedness. If you've come to peace with your sin, heaven help you. Literally. Let's now, let's now move to a new, this is kind of a novel definition of maturity, isn't it? Maturity, the mature man, the mature woman, is the one who is aware more deeply, more completely, and more fully, almost hyper-aware, like Paul is. Paul's so 
full of all these emotions, wretchedness, praise, announcement of the gospel, the good news, and the life that's in Jesus. Are you? We need this movement of the Holy Spirit. Your persistent and constant corruption and divided heart is an opportunity now, over and over again, for you to glimpse how deeply you are loved. Because you are loved beyond imagination. And I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is thundering into your heart this therefore, this nothing therefore now that comes because of His grace. Do no longer be afraid of pessimism, of a pessimistic outlook about your stain and the persistence of your failures and the division in your soul. Take great hope instead that you're right where God is working. This is the kind of work he does. And what his work really, what his aim is, not just to, not to humble you, to merely humble you and stick your nose in the dirt. No, 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 not at all. This is to make you stare with wonder and amazement at such a conquering, beautiful, triumphant love that never stops, never quits. Never, it never, it, God is never ashamed of a bunch of people who are divided in their hearts. Praise Him. Let's pray. Dearest Father in heaven, as I, as I, as I think about this message, I, my heart, I, I, how many times I've come to you, how many times on a Sunday morning, I, the, my people don't even know or see, they can't see me just cowering in the bedroom or cowering in the, in the hallway before I have to preach, crying out because I know, I know I can see the stain, the persistent failure, the, the divided heart, and I'm so ashamed of myself, so ashamed that as a preacher of the gospel, I'm so ruined. And then, and then it creates, then, then, it, then it suddenly surprises me again. And I'm suddenly amazed again. Will you help us to be amazed again, Father, at your love? That, that this revelation of who we are and just how ugly we are is just a, a, another revelation of how beautiful you are and how beautiful you're making us. How constant and persistent and life changing your love is. Oh, Father, uh, will, you, will you give us the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.